Johnson County is under a new public health order on this episode. Hear from our local health officer about the need for this order that pertains to children who are not currently eligible for COVID-19 vaccines. Whether you live in or just love Johnson County, Kansas, JOCO On The Go has everything Johnson County. Here's what's happening and what's coming up in the community you call home. Thanks for joining us for JOCO On The Go. I'm your host, Teresa Freed, a Johnson County resident and employee of Johnson County government. Just ahead of the start of the school year, the Johnson County Board of County Commissioners, sitting as the Board of Public Health, approved a public health order that requires masks inside school buildings for all students up to and including sixth grade if there are children in a pre-K class held in a public or private private school who are younger than kindergarten age. This would include them as well. And here's BOCC Chairman Ed Eilert talking about that order. I would remind all of us on this dais that the Kansas statute requires us as the Board of Public Health to take action in regards to infectious diseases and to protect the public health. We all want our schools open We all want our kids in class learning. That's an objective that we all share. And I think it's important. And that order was recommended in part by Dr. Joe Lamaster, our local health officer. Thanks for being with us again. Very happy to be here, Teresa. Thanks for having me. All right, well, just to start off with, can you talk a little bit about why this order is needed? Thanks, yes. As we talked about during the Board of Commissioners meeting, Uh, we've seen a rapid increase in the number of cases and transmissions, hospitalizations generally in uh, in the last month, uh, especially uh, since the beginning of July. Uh, And because children uh, are not eligible for the vaccination, they are the most exposed. Most of the people who have been really sick in hospital Uh, and those who have died are unvaccinated people recently. We have seen some breakthrough cases, especially in those who've got lots of chronic diseases or have immunosuppression. But for the most part, those who have breakthrough cases are not as sick. Uh, But more and more, we're seeing an increase in both the proportion of our hospitalizations with COVID that are pediatric cases, as well as the number of pediatric cases that, uh, that, that are emerging in our area. And so when we talk about COVID in children, um, I, I know that there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people who feel like it's it's pretty mild and it's not really something to worry about. In my own family, my, my three-year-old got COVID and he had no symptoms. My nine-year-old had COVID, he had watery eyes and um, you know didn't feel great for, for a day or two, but it can be serious in children. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, No question about the fact that what you say is true, that children tend to have milder illness generally, but because they are are unprotected and because because of lack of, of no vaccination and because this new Delta variant is so highly transmissible, something in the neighborhood of six to eight times more transmissible than the original uh, version of it, we are seeing a lot more cases among uh, pedi- the pediatric population, and we'll continue to see that. And when you've got lots of cases, then though there is going to be a certain proportion of those that are the more severe cases. Even though it's less likely for children to get a severe case of COVID, they can do. 
uh, and very severe uh, side effects also of COVID as well. So it's not just being hospitalized, but also the long-term effects on function. So in July, we saw an increase in the area, in the, in the, the Kansas City region, uh, of somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300 hospitalizations for children during that month. Uh, this is very uh, typical of what we saw in the middle of the last surge in November, December. However, the proportion of all of our hospital uh, cases with COVID that have been admitted that are pediatric is about double what it was in uh, November, December. So even though a lot of the cases will be mild, there are still children being hospitalized in the region. Uh, also, I wanna add that for those who say, well, what about those who are in, who are from Johnson County? Is that affecting us? Well, it's very difficult, of course, to know by just looking in Johnson County hospitals what is going on with Johnson County children, because a lot of children are admitted, for instance, on the other side of the state line at Children's Mercy Hospital or other hospitals there. So we really need to look at the regional picture to get any kind of an idea what's going on in our area. And so obviously, as you mentioned, they're not eligible for a vaccine at this point. I remember a conversation, gosh, it seems like months ago, where uh, it seemed experts were, were hopeful that we would have children fully vaccinated by the start of the school year. Where are we with, with that happening? Well, we still don't have an emergency authorization to administer uh, the vaccine to children yet. The research studies that have been uh, going on are continuing to, to be completed. They are underway. We anticipate that we will see an emergency authorization for kids, probably two to 12, um, probably coming out sometime around October, but unfortunately not in time for the beginning of the school year. Can you talk about how the public health order adds some consistency among Johnson's, Johnson County school districts um, in protecting this, this age group? Right, so the intent of the order was to have a targeted intervention. So we'd have a consistent group of children across all the, the uh, public and private schools uh, that where those children, those are the children who cannot be vaccinated. So we wanted to make sure that that group of the population was covered and, and, and protected since they don't have any options. Um, for those that are older, the thought was, well, those who are, for instance, in high school, the vaccine is available for them and they uh, could choose to take it or their parents could choose for having them take it or not. Now, there is really, to tell you the truth, not really great data that says that children who are in older high school are any less at risk um, if they are unvaccinated than those who are uh, in the lower grades. Um, an unvaccinated uh, child who's in high school may even be in a worse situation because there's a lot of mixing between the grades uh, across different uh, classes as they move around. And there will be kids who are both vaccinated and unvaccinated in that high school population. So from a scientific perspective, from the studies that have been done, looking at using uh, protection such as face masks and the other type of um, of social distancing measures that we've been uh, advising all along. There have been a number of studies in schools showing that when those are in place, transmission uh, remains low in the schools. Our main reason for doing it, for taking that targeted intervention is that they really have no choice. And so that we're trying to make sure that those who are the most vulnerable 
are those that have some layer of protection. Some of the schools have now, since we passed the order, gone on and, uh, and uh, extended that for the rest of the high school population. And we strongly um, both recommend and support their action. Uh, but we were taking what was a, a targeted intervention to be um, the, the something that would be best for that group of children that had no other choice. And so for, for those schools where there is no masking requirement up through 12th grade, can you talk about sort of a message to parents on, on what they can do to help protect their children this school year? Well, certainly if you're in a situation like that and in a school uh, where there has not been any extension of the social distancing uh, face covering uh, requirements, certainly I think if you uh, have uh, the ability to have your child wear a mask to school when they're in, uh, in their activities there, that would be ideal. Uh, it's difficult uh, because of peer pressure on that child to continue to do that. Higher risk activities include ones where, uh, where children are either in closer proximity in a larger group or where there's a lot of uh, heavy breathing, if you will, sort of like band practice or, or any kind of sports activities where everybody's unmasked and they're all close together in, uh, in, in a lot in a smaller space. Um, outside activities, probably less risky, uh, especially uh, in the open air. Um, so those are some thoughts that I would have. I think in particular, there is uh, concern about children who are maybe higher risk from a medical perspective. Um, I would certainly recommend for those uh, families that they test their children frequently, that they get frequent uh, COVID testing uh, to make sure that if, they're, uh, if they have an infection uh, and they detect that early on, that they can get treatment early. It's becoming uh, easier and easier to get um, the monoclonal antibodies for a, a certain subpopulation if they get COVID in there. Um, at risk of going into the hospital or if they're getting sick with that. So for kids who, who, are, who are immunosuppressed in particular, we have um, additional things that we can provide from a medical perspective to try and help them. I hope that's helpful. That's good information. And then of course, I know the message is also, if you're eligible to get vaccinated, then you know strongly consider that and get vaccinated. Absolutely, right? absolutely. That's the first uh, line of, of defense. I, th I think that anyone who has the eligibility of getting vaccinated, that should be the thing that we promote first and foremost above all, uh, because that's going to provide the best protection. And I know there are still, you know, plenty of concerns about vaccinating children and any kind of long-term effects from that. You know, we've heard um, concerns about, um, you know, possible issues with the heart and um, fertility. And I know that that's that's been disproven and it's yeah. still tough for for parents because you know this virus is new this vaccine is new and sometimes it feels like well we do we really know what the long-term impacts are and so what message do you have for parents with those concerns well as you know these vaccine trials have now been and these vaccines have been administered to many millions of people so the vaccine side effects that have been detected, such as, for instance, myocarditis in, for certain of the, of the vaccines when given to uh, adolescent boys, were really, really, really small numbers of children affected after many millions of people vaccinated. Uh, on the other hand, the risks of long COVID or of severe and prolonged 
problems with having got coronavirus far outweigh any of the risks that are there for getting the vaccine. As far as I'm aware, uh, those kids who even had the myocardial um, uh, issues have, for the most part, all recovered. So, you know, it's really, um, it's really uh, looking realistically at what the numbers are that you're talking about. You're talking about one to two million uh, cases per million versus, you know, a very, very strong probability if the child gets COVID of having ongoing problems. Uh, this includes cognitive problems. Some people are struggling with problems with memory or other types of issues long after they've had COVID. So it's important to keep all of that in mind too and be realistic and, and rational about the way that you're looking at the risks of the vaccine versus the risks of getting COVID. It, what, we're, what we're seeing now, this new Delta virus is so transmissible that it seems quite likely that people that are not vaccinated are gonna get COVID much more likely uh, than what we saw earlier on. Um, we're trying to do all we can with these social distancing things to try and reduce that probability. Uh, and that's the best, that, that's the best uh, second line of defense we have, but the vaccine is the first line of defense. So currently the, the public health order is set to expire, I think it's May 31st of next year. So that's, that's a long time and a lot of things can change in that time. But there is an option to amend or re revoke if, if circumstances change, right? Of course, right. So for instance, if the vaccine becomes widely available uh, and uh, a majority of our school children have been vaccinated, let's say we were able to get to 70 to 80% of children vaccinated, then we'd have to revisit what was going on at that time. Uh, I think that that, that, would be a game that will be a game changer for us and could change when we uh, revoke the order. I think we'll, a lot will depend on what we see happening also during the school winter months, right? So right now we're dealing with Delta, but you know, tomorrow it could be Lambda, you know, or or something else. So we don't we have to keep an eye also on the emerging variants and their behavior. Even though we want this to be over and we'd like it to be over, everybody wants it to be over, but it's the reality of what we're dealing with, with the actual behavior of the virus that is guiding our public health recommendations, not, not other considerations. So those, while, while those are all important and we want all of those to be taken into consideration, I, you know, I, I realize that a lot of parents are thinking these masks are not good for my child's education or for their development, uh, but neither is, is getting, the getting the virus and ending up in the hospital or with prolonged cognitive uh, impairment as a result of getting COVID. So, you know, we're trying to balance out these difficult um, decisions and take into account the largest number of people that would be uh, impacted. And we now have with us Eldana Chestnut with the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment to talk about safety precautions and the public health order pertaining to younger children. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, just uh, to start off with, can you talk a little bit about your role with the county? Sure. I am Division Director of Child Care Licensing. And so basically we are contracted with Kansas Department of Health and Environment to provide all of the child care licensing services in both Johnson and Miami County. All right. Now, there's been a fair bit of discussion and a little bit of confusion regarding the public health order and how that pertains to kids who are younger than kindergarten. And I know, for example, my, my child's going into preschool and he's wearing a mask because he's at a school where um, 
kids up to to a certain grade are there. So can you talk about how this how the public health order pertains to kids who are younger as well as not just kindergartners? Sure. So kind of using the summer as an example, a lot of our or some of our summer camps were based in school districts. Um, and so basically those summer camps are still under the child care licensing regulations, but they basically followed the school's directive regarding mask wearing. So my, I'm pretty sure that they will be doing the same thing for this fall. So that would include some of our, our schools do have centers or preschools in them as well as school age programs. So I believe that they certainly will continue to follow the school guidance on that. In our child care licensing regulations, we will continue to uh, write a consultation that all staff should be wearing masks because that is what the best thing to do, especially for you know, adults. And as CDC now says, vaccinated or unvaccinated. So our guidance supports that. Uh, regarding child care licensing regulations, so we do write a consultation whenever we're in, a, in the uh, facility for a visit that, that indicates that, the KDHE says all staff should be wearing masks. The guidance then for children has more or less been left up to um, the counties, which you will find on the KDHE website under the child care frequently asked questions that they support the CDC uh, APA guidance. And so that's kind of what we're in. In our guidance, we did spell it out clearly because there's always questions. Well, what does this mean? Well, does this apply to me? What do I have to do? So our guidance does spell that out clearly. We did follow CDC and American Academy of Pediatrics guidance. And it, it basically does say anyone over the age of two, so two and up basically, should be masked. You know, that's a challenge. We totally get that. But the evidence-based research says that's what's best for the kids. These kids are young, too young to be vaccinated. So the only thing we can do is put mitigation measures in place to protect them. And with that age group, it, the, the best thing for them and what keeps those kids in, in daycare and school, wherever, is providing masks and that helps the daycare or the school stay open should there be a positive case. So when we're talking about preschools, there are some preschools that are in traditional schools, but there are also preschools that are in sort of non-traditional settings or you know churches or things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, how are those regulated with regard to uh, masking requirements? Sure. So the private preschools, not part of a school district, are just under child care guidance. Um, the, this public health order did not include child care. There are some states that have done that, but at this point in time, our, our order does not include child care specifically. So that falls back on our guidance. Our guidance, again, does say anybody over the age of two should be masked. And that includes church, preschools, private preschools, everything. Okay, got it. And just to be clear, that's not required, but it is guidance. You're, you're re recommending that they, they do that. Um, right, so what strongly. are, <laughs> right. Okay. So what are some of the other um, safety precautions that you either require or are simply um, making strong recommendations for with regard to trying to keep uh, the spread of COVID down? Sure. So basically we strongly, strongly, strongly at this point in time, it is just a uh, guidance and it, you know, it's evidence-based. It's what we think everybody should do, but we just can't require them to do it. Um, but what we've kind of put in place is an availability to try, again, try to help the daycares and those schools stay open as much as possible. That if any, all children over the age of two are masked and all staff should be masked and that is vaccinated or unvaccinated. And that was, we just changed that when CDC changed their guidance. 
Um, so we were allowing vaccinated staff to not have to mask, but now our guidance as of July says that everybody should be masked. Um, we tried to um, make sure that, you know, like say, if there is just one case in the facility, in the room, um, then as long as everybody is masked in that classroom, we're gonna allow them to stay open until there's two or internal spread um, cases. And, and then we'll have to more or less take more, more drastic measures, I guess you would say. But it's certainly in the best interest that if everybody is masked, that way it's gonna help them stay open. Uh, we put a big focus early on in the uh, pandemic on getting all childcare facility uh, staff vaccinated. And we're still, our highly recommendation is to do that. Um, so those would kind of be the same thing. We, we do certainly encourage our centers to, if their person is sick, don't, you know, don't pressure them to come to work because we don't want them coming to work sick. This virus is just so contagious. And we've seen it once it gets into a center or a home, it seems to go through rather quickly. So we you know, we want to support those people to have the ability and, and feel that they their job won't be in jeopardy if they are sick and they stay home. Um, so I think those are kind of some of the things, you know, making sure they're good hand washing, good hygiene, um, just spacing kids out. So at lunchtime. We encourage, because the kids can't obviously eat with their mask on, so they have to take their mask off at lunch. So we do encourage the facilities to spread the kids out as much as possible. Ideally, you know, a minimum three feet, but you know, it's daycare, we can't always do that. So spread them out as much as possible. Um, we have not gone back to family style serving, so it's still individual serving. So we're trying to reduce the amount of exposure there. And, um, at nap time, you know, our, well, our regulation requires that there's at least two feet between cots, cribs, whatever the age group is they sleep in. Uh, but we've also encouraged them to spread those out further. You know, they, they may not be able to do the full six feet, but to spread them out as far, as far as they possibly can. And then in addition to that, especially with the um, not the infants necessary that those are out of pack and play as those that are on cots to sleep the children like foot to toe or head to toe. So like you've got spaced out and then one, one child's feet where the other child's head and that kind of helps to put increased space as well. Um, obviously we don't recommend mask at nap time to mask her off then, but that spreading them out and, and staggering that way helps to put more space to help to reduce the risk of, of spread. All right, and just final question. Can you talk about how important it is to have these childcare facilities open and available? Certainly, as, as more and more people get back to work, uh, we know that parents definitely need to have safe, quality childcare available to them. So if we worked really hard with our providers throughout this whole pandemic to maybe make sure that they have that option. Uh, my Johnson County is one of the uh, few of my peers that we've offered that cohort offer option. And again, it's all about trying to keep the facilities open and, and safely open so that the kids can be in care. Um, you know, they're again with the cohort option and encouraging vaccination. And of course, most of these kids in daycare are too young to be vaccinated. So the importance of staff and parents and those around them being vaccinated helps to protect them as well. Gotcha, okay, great information there. Um, anything to add, any other, other information you'd like to share with parents about as we come into this new school year? Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I totally understand that it's very hard to get the younger ones to wear a mask, but I have to tell you at the same time, I'm really surprised how successful some of my centers have been that they've got those little two and three-year-olds that are wearing, that's probably better than some adults actually. Um, so it certainly can be done. None of us want to be in masks. We all want to be done with this. But I think just, you know, bear with us, you know, keep the kids masked and we can get through this. Vaccinate if you're available to. Stay home if you're sick. Don't send your, don't send your kids to daycare sick. Um, I think those are the, just the basic public health messages that we just all hang in there for a little longer until we can get on top of this. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks for listening. You just heard Joko on the go. Join us next time for more Everything Johnson County. Have a topic you want to discuss? We want to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at JocoGov. For more on this podcast, visit jocogov.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.